Welcome back to Hell Saturn. We are back for season two. Thanks for being here. I'm reporting to you from early September where the Venus retrograde has just ended and Jupiter has just begun its retrograde motion, which will carry us through to the end of 2023. We have much to discuss. It's been an interesting summer, to say the least. Not the easiest summer to keep an optimistic outlook about things, but that's why we're back here to reframe our realities and step into our power to change what we are not happy with and to amplify what we love. All right, let's dive in and get a lay of the land, shall we? Look at what's happening overhead and situate ourselves, get our bearings. Jupiter has just stationed retrograde. Venus has just stationed direct. Mercury is continuing its retrograde motion until the middle of September. And we have a total of six planets retrograde right now. Throughout the summer, we've been stacking retrogrades, starting with Pluto in May, Saturn and Neptune in June, Venus in July, Mercury in August, Uranus just a few days ago on August 29th, and Jupiter just yesterday on September 4th. So seven of our 10 planetary bodies have gone retrograde this summer. It has been a summer to reflect, review, revise, all those good re-prefix words that we associate with retrogrades to really take stock of where we're at in terms of our lives, our journeys, our goals, to look at what's working, to see and be confronted with what is not working, and to revise our strategies moving forward. Almost all the planets, with the exception of the sun and moon, have retrograde periods regularly. So you can think of it as these planets charging ahead with their duties most of the time and then periodically needing to enter a review period to stop their usual work and assess the work that they have been doing in order to kind of course correct before moving forward again full speed. So these are normal expected periods that are annoying but essential in order to make sure that we are not going too far too fast down a road that is counterproductive to the one that we need to be traveling on, so to speak. And I think a huge theme of this summer has been found in the signs Taurus, Leo, Virgo, where a lot of these retrogrades have been taking place, as well as Pisces. And in the interplay of some of these signs, we can pick up on certain tensions that are prevailing in the world around us and threatening our ability to move forward with our spiritual and material purposes on earth. So Taurus is the sign of the earth and right now we have Jupiter and Uranus both retrograde in Taurus. Also for today for a few more hours we have the moon in Taurus which I'm just going to mention because I think it makes this moment that I'm broadcasting to you from especially Taurian time where Taurus's values are closer to mind and heart and I am definitely feeling that kind of as I'm researching this episode and pulling thoughts together I'm really thinking about Taurus and the activities associated with specifically the Uranus retrograde in Taurus as well as Jupiter in Taurus and the moon being in Taurus and bringing our thoughts and feelings toward that place 
Looking at the chart, for example, the Maui fires, which had Uranus, Jupiter, and the moon all conjunct in Taurus and felt like the earth screaming for attention and really receiving it on a massive scale. I feel like this summer we've seen a lot of places that we consider to be earthly paradises burn and that's been an interesting theme to witness. Harrowing and devastating like natural disasters always are but especially potent to see it be some of, you know, we in the privileged parts of the world's favorite places to vacation and places that we associate with being representative of the best that earthly life has to offer and seeing those places decimated by sudden, shocking, unexpected natural disasters like fires feels like a major symbol of what these planets are doing in Taurus and what they're forcing us to confront and to evaluate against our values and our intentions for our time on Earth moving forward. Like really, I feel like this comes up a lot, not just in astrology, but all around us where we are really having to consider what our priorities as a society on Earth are and if we care about maintaining this planet for life for future generations or if we're trying more to engage in an all-out buffet and use up all of the goodness that earth has for ourselves before we die with no consideration and no forethought for the generations to come and who those souls might be anyway I'm gonna lay out where all the planets are right now in mostly these four signs with some exceptions and then talk a little bit about major themes that I see being relevant for the fall and through the end of the year and what I think the planets are asking of us on a personal and collective level to think about and incorporate and integrate into our actions at this time. So, as I mentioned, Jupiter and Uranus are currently retrograde in Taurus. Venus is moving direct once again in Leo. The Sun and Mercury are in Virgo. Mercury is retrograde in Virgo. Mars is in Libra. Pluto is in Capricorn. And Saturn and Neptune are both in Pisces. Pluto, Saturn, and Neptune are all retrograde right now. So the six planets that we have retrograde are Pluto, Saturn, Neptune, Jupiter, Uranus, and Mercury. All the planets in the sky are answering to Mercury. Mercury is currently the final dispositor of everything in the sky right now. So that puts Mercury, even though it's retrograde, in a very powerful position with a lot of influence and a lot of planetary power behind it. And Mercury's retrograde position in Virgo is actually also kind of auspicious because Mercury is at home and exalted in Virgo. So it's its favorite place in the zodiac to be. It's an absolutely optimal condition for Mercury, minus the retrograde, of course. But in going retrograde in this sign, it gives it a much longer period to enjoy being in Virgo. So while usually Mercury will just fly through a sign in about three weeks, we actually are getting to enjoy several more weeks of a Virgo Mercury, which will help us 
accurately and effectively analyze what's going on with all these other planetary placements and make informed choices and decisions about how to move forward in light of all that. So despite Mercury being retrograde, I think this is actually a great time, kind of like a super powered retrograde period, an excellent time to really honestly assess and review what you're doing and how it stacks up against the goals that you have. And you should be able to see a lot more clearly what's missing, what are you pouring too much energy into, what have you been avoiding, what are you putting off and procrastinating to a point that it's becoming counterproductive, how are you allocating your energy and your resources toward things that align with your goals and your vision for the future. It's the perfect time to reassess, revise, and... By mid-September, especially when Mercury stations direct again, it'll be a great time to start implementing and moving forward and acting on those things. Because we do have right now Mars and Venus direct, so we have them operating as intended in their correct functions, Mars in Libra and Venus in Leo, so there's a lot of opportunity here to harmonize and to take steps forward that help to kind of smooth things out where there have been some rough edges kicked up by some of these retrogrades over the summer. We will also have a lovely new moon in Virgo on September 14th, the day before Mercury stations direct, which will be a really nice period to kind of take the reflection that's been done and seed it into intention if you're into that sort of thing, if you like working with lunar cycles, or if it just helps you to have a deadline for this type of a thing, I would say try to actively work through your review period and then seed it into your intention right around now when this episode comes out. And if you miss the new moon, I mean, don't worry about it. It's never too late. But just keep in mind and be mindful that this period of time, the first two weeks of September especially, are like a prime time where what does need to be revised and reimagined will probably become glaringly obvious. I also want to talk about Burning Man because that was just in the news and really interesting from an astrological perspective. Do we have any burners listening to the podcast? If you are at Burning Man 2023, call in, please, because I'm really curious to know what it was actually like there. I've been scrolling on our Burning Man to try to get a sense of how things actually were going down, but it seems like kind of an insular community that's very self-protective for the most part and is in kind of a defensive position after the rains and the mud made international news and they've gotten so much attention and I feel that the news was kind of trying to corner them into uh, this is just like fire fest type of a narrative and it didn't seem like that's what was actually playing out so yeah if you were there definitely get in touch but to me and to my view it looked like people were surviving pretty well despite the inclement weather conditions And for people who were really into the philosophy and ethos of Burning Man, this was kind of exactly the type of thing that they were expecting and prepared for. Not specifically rain and mud, like the actual climate disaster was an unexpected one, but that it is a practice of surviving harsh, hostile conditions through radical forms of community and a futuristic imagining of 
a non-capitalist way of building a city and communing with other creative artistic minds. I didn't really know much about Burning Man. I have always heard of it as kind of like a drug-fueled orgy in the desert, and that sounds very unappealing to me personally. I don't really like hostile climates like desert and camping and kind of being immersed in just that alone is like very unappealing to me. And then if you add in drug-fueled orgy, it actually becomes a nightmare situation to me. But putting that judgment aside, and I would like to apologize for being judgmental of those things. I can't help it. It's something I'm working on. But putting that judgment aside and looking at it from a more neutral standpoint, I actually find it to be something really, really interesting and kind of consistent with what I proselytize the exploration of on this podcast, which is alternative visions of how a society can be built in a way that acknowledges and honors the earth as our host and puts human companionship and collaboration and cooperation above profits and financial bottom lines. And it turns out that that is a core tenet of Burning Man. So I hadn't really given it a chance and learned about the ethos and the culture that it's built upon, but I actually find it pretty cool now that I do know more about it. And I think that the whole situation was really interesting how everybody got there and then during the time that they were there, Uranus stationed retrograde. Remember Venus and Mercury, Saturn, Neptune, and Pluto were all already retrograde. So it was a lot of factors working against them. And I think Uranus stationing retrograde was really symbolic of the tides turning against them, so to speak and the rains coming down and surprising everyone and turning the playa into a clay pit of quicksand where if you tried to leave, you ran the risk of getting stuck, ruining your vehicle, destroying the ecosystem, and it became an interesting conundrum and test for these people who were there, you know, under the auspices of leave no trace, you know, pack in and pack out completely, honor the playa and the ecosystem that's hosting you above all, and while you're there, you know, have a great time collaborating with the people around you to survive in this pop-up city in a hostile climate. Now the climate is even more hostile and it's scaring people. It's jarring and shocking and unexpected and it's taking the control that people thought that they had prepared for themselves, you know, bringing everything that they would need to survive for the amount of time that they plan to be there and saying, okay, well now the conditions are different. It's much colder. You're going to be here for longer. You don't know how long you'll be stuck for. And people started to panic, right? And try to find ways out of there, walk off the playa, try to drive their cars and get them stuck in the mud. Some people were able to figure out how to drive out of there and escape. Other people were walking and catching a ride from the road, Diplo style. And then others, and these are the people that I would really love to hear from, kind of embraced the challenge of it and figured out how to do Burning Man anyway and stay on the playa and have fun and try to stick to the code of ethics that they came there with. And I am really interested as time unfolds and we hear more stories that people experienced while they were there, how this kind of experimental city pop-up society dealt with this type of emergent ecological disaster 
you know, were they able to keep their society running and functioning for the most part? You know, were they able to keep everybody safe? I know that there has been one death. I'm not sure what the circumstances were surrounding that. But I mean, I think when this issue or when this story was first being reported upon, the media was very excited to think, oh, this is going to get bad for people. This is going to be dangerous and a potential humanitarian disaster. The porta potties are going to overflood and turn the whole scene into a biohazard. There was, I think this started as a joke, but somebody like posted a meme that Ebola was circulating and then that got picked up by like conspiracy oriented media outlets and people were thinking that there was disease spreading rampant at Burning Man and there was just a lot of excitement and misinformation and schadenfreude and I mean you can imagine and maybe you were keeping up with this story too and you felt some of it but I think it's interesting to look beyond that kind of reporting and sensationalist view of things and actually look at it as how did you guys fare with this situation you know how did it actually play out were people there for each other were they cooperating and sharing and helping each other survive and have fun or was it kind of a hunker down every man for himself lord of the flies type situation you know were cholera and dysentery spreading immediately or were people able to keep disease germs wounds to a minimum and you know did they do it without capitalism so I don't know it's um it's one of the more interesting scenarios that's popped up and something that I'm going to continue to think about and look for other examples of people doing And yeah, I think it's just a really interesting example overall, like this year and just in general, of concepts that I do think about, which is what can creative people who are willing to take risks and take responsibility for their own lives and well-being accomplish in terms of building alternative societies and doing so in a way that honors the earth and protects it for future generations which I feel like is a really important tenet of Burning Man, that they are a leave-no-trace organization, and they have a commitment to removing every single piece of trash and human-brought paraphernalia from the playa, and also what a challenge that will really be for them this year with the way that the playa turned into a clay that kind of subsumed this giant encampment and kept everyone stuck for days at a time. It'll be interesting to see how they're able to continue to honor that ethic if they even are able to meet that standard that they've set for themselves and to hear more about what socially and interpersonally happened when that society was actually tested and put under great pressure and strain and demanded to innovate or die. Yeah, and I want to run through actually the 10 principles of Burning Man Because I think they're really interesting that, you know, this is kind of the constitution that burners have built up and what the society of Black Rock City as it pops up every year is founded upon. So these principles were allegedly organically developed through participation in the event, but then they were officially written down by one of the co-founders of Burning Man, Larry Harvey, in 2004. The 10 principles of Burning Man are radical inclusion, so anyone can participate, gifting, decommodification, or creating social environments that are unmediated by capitalism, 
radical self-reliance, radical self-expression, communal effort, civic responsibility, leaving no trace on the environment and respecting the environment that's hosting them, participation, and immediacy. Immediacy is a really interesting one. What they write about that is immediate experience is in many ways the most important touchstone of value in our culture. We seek to overcome barriers that stand between us and a recognition of our inner selves, the reality of those around us. Participation in society and contact with a natural world exceeding human powers. No idea can substitute for this experience. Really interesting. So I guess to me that suggests like that they support and encourage you to act from your gut and from a place of intuition and from your inner authority and inner knowing and to just meet the moment with that energy, which I love. So, I mean, I think that these things are really interesting and really cool. And I hope that the festival can, you know, survive the climate emergency and any repercussions that come their way because of it. I can imagine that it's going to be a difficult task to adhere to these values in light of everything that's just happened at the festival. But it seems like a strong and resilient group with a strong motivation to maintain their organization and their way of life, as temporary as it is. And I commend them for building and returning to this temporary place where they can keep iterating on this alternative lifestyle. We're all about alternative lifestyles here. I may seem traditional, but it's just because I'm undoing years and years of traditional conditioning. And it seems like a space that encourages people to explore and express something closer to who they inherently are and the core of their being and to meet the world from a creative, generative standpoint. The whole festival is about making art and then they burn all of that art so it never comes back into what they call the default world, which is where the rest of us are living. But so they all drive out to the desert with their camping gear and camp out on this dusty ass lake bed that turns into clay if there's, you know, half an inch of rain that falls on it, has no ability to absorb water, and is actively a quicksand mud pit or an active dust storm most of the time. And they bring everything they need to survive and thrive in this environment plus a bunch of materials to build art and art experiences that are totally temporary and localized just to this one place. And it becomes an alternative world. And it's just for, you know, a week or less. But for this week, everybody who's there doesn't have to be their default world selves. They can be whatever they feel inherently inside and bring that in a creative, generative way to meet all of these other people operating from that same energy, same vantage point in their own way. And honestly, it sounds really radical and cool. And I'm sure that it does turn into some nightmare drug-fueled orgies in places, but it also seems like, at least ideologically, it's fostering the potential for so much more and for people to come together and actually create new visions in collaboration with one another. And what if it wasn't just a bacchanalia, 
you know, with slightly demonic undertones, but it was kind of a temporary, utopic celebration of life and what it means to be a human being communing with yourself at the deepest level. And in doing so, connecting with immediacy to everyone around you coming from the same place. It's like that type of environment really doesn't exist in the world. And it is exactly what I crave. And I don't know if Burning Man is exactly that, what I'm, you know, imagining the most idealistic version of a place like what Burning Man attempts to be is. I've never been. But yeah, it was really interesting to learn about it and to think about this thing that I've just sort of like passively ignored and blown off and maybe laughed at a little bit and think of it in terms of having a potential connection to what I find to be you know, the most important calling that we have, which is to connect with each other in a creative way and channel our collective energy towards an artistic ideal of paradise and utopia and honoring the earth and celebrating what it means to be given this kind of advanced consciousness and ability to co-create on this planet. So it's given me a lot to think about, and I hope that it inspires something for you too, because it's definitely a cooler story than just like a, oh, another festival for rich people turned into a disaster. I think that there's a lot more to it than that. But so back to the planets for a minute. The way that they're all kind of laid out, they really are in a close conversation with each other. Virgo, where we have the Sun and Mercury. Trines, Taurus, where we have Jupiter and Uranus. Taurus squares Leo, where we've had the Venus retrograde. Virgo also opposes Pisces, where we have Saturn and Neptune. And so we can see how the planets are kind of grouped up in these key signs and they're conversing with one another during this Mercury retrograde where Mercury is exalted and in domicile and able to translate the needs and the meanings of these planetary placements for us. And I think it's been coming out pretty strong, the need to consider our environment and our impact on our environment and take more responsibility over that and prepare to collaborate and cooperate in order to not conquer our environment, but collaborate with the environment itself with our longevity as a society and a collective in mind. So in the national and international news, and I'm sure in your own lives, there have been events and signs and indicators that we can all pick up on and it's up to us during this Mercury retrograde period and beyond to reflect and assess how our participation impacts the larger collective and if we feel like we're not having as strong of an impact as we're capable of, how can we alter what we're doing in order to participate more fully and more immediately in service of our greater vision and goals? And think when you're thinking about yourself, especially about the areas of your chart that are ruled by Leo and Taurus in particular, because that's where the real activity and the events have been localized. So wherever you have Taurus, you might have to make a sudden adjustment that's uncomfortable and it's a big change for you, but ultimately it is in service of the larger trajectory that you're on. And where you have Leo, 
consider how your values in this area might be shifting or the way that you are relating to the Leo area of your chart is changing at this time. We're all constantly changing and evolving. That's the one constant that we're promised as part of our human experience is that there will never be a point in your life where you're not changing in some way and that transformation is an imperative and a necessity and a demand that's placed upon us but it's also something that we can have a participatory role in and influence the ways that we're changing and growing hopefully for our own good and the good of the collective and everyone whose lives our own lives touch we are the stewards of the present moment and the present moment is what will determine what happens next what's the next moment that everyone who is now and who is to come will live through. I don't know, I just feel so strongly that we do have a responsibility and a duty to prepare the world and the environment for the future generations and to keep them in mind in everything that we do. And I wish I saw more evidence of people in power and in high places having a similar ethos around the work that they do on behalf of the citizens that they represent or have influence over. I feel like the era of selfishness and self-aggrandizement and self-enrichment must come to an end. There's a limit to how far that can take our species before it becomes something that threatens us and I think we've already passed that threshold. So I think it's important to imagine how we can value what's around us and what's available to us a little bit differently so that it's not just a game of ravenous greed and competitive acquirement but that we're able to tap into our deeper purpose as stewards of the moment and the time that we're in and the land that we occupy and that we can work together to find fulfillment and to protect and preserve what is important to us for the future. Okay, now I want to switch gears here a little bit and read from a book that I've definitely mentioned before but I don't think I've read from called Astrology, Karma, and Transformation by Stephen Arroyo. So this is a great holistic book to help explain astrology in plain terms to understand the bigger picture of the birth chart and what it can offer. So I want to start diving into Stephen Arroyo's take on astrology and transformation and what the birth chart means in terms of both the individual and our relationship to our society at large. What is currently needed not only in the field of astrology but also in our entire worldview are simplifying, synthesizing principles. In other words, why should we go on playing egocentric guessing games in astrology when we can deal directly and immediately with the archetypal structural principles of life itself? What simplifying, synthesizing ideas about astrology can we begin with? First of all, we should agree that all of astrology, when applied to individuals' lives, deals with transformation. In other words, it is a way of clearly perceiving and gaining a perspective upon the constant changes, cycles, growth, and decay periods that characterize all of nature. We should also agree that astrology offers us an experiential language, 
i.e. a language which is most useful if used to describe an individual's inner experience of life and its incessant changes. Astrology does not necessarily symbolize the outer situation or events in a person's life, although it may do so in many instances, but much more often it will symbolize the inner experience and how that experience fits into the total life pattern. Perhaps it would be useful to be more precise in a schematic form. Astrology, based on the planetary configuration being considered, deals with these kinds of personal transformation. The Sun, transformation of identity and mode of creative energy expression. Moon, transformation of one's feelings about oneself and how comfortable one is with oneself. Mercury, transformation of one's mode of thinking and perception and of the way in which one expresses one's intelligence. Venus, transformation of one's emotional values and mode of expressing and understanding one's need for closeness. Mars, transformation of the capacity to assert one's will and to know what one really wants. Jupiter, transformation of one's beliefs, aspirations, and long-term plans for the future all of which promise some kind of improvement. Saturn, transformation of one's ambitions, priorities, and work structure. Uranus, transformation of one's sense of freedom, individual purpose, and personal uniqueness. Neptune, transformation of one's spiritual and or social ideals. Pluto, transformation of the use of one's inner powers and resources, particularly the mind and willpower. So this schematic that Arroyo has introduced is extremely useful and distills the planets and the role that they play in our birth charts into probably the most succinct terms that I've found. And I love the idea that he is asserting here that all of these placements serve a function of indicating the transformations that we are meant to undergo and perhaps are currently experiencing. And he says it should be stated here that in order to experience these transformations in a healthy and relatively harmonious way, one must have the right attitude toward and relationship with the various energies and powers that the planets represent. There must be a consciously forged alignment within ourselves between all the aspects of our being in order to be totally open to the endless transformations that life will demand of us. And this alignment, this openness, has a direct bearing on our physical, mental, and spiritual health. To use ancient terminology, the planets are the gods which we must worship. It is necessary to pay due attention to these forces within and without us in order to live in a state of health and wholeness. The deity who inflicts the wound is at once both the sickness and the cure. We can see that any life problem indicated in the individual chart is a hint to us that a better relationship to that universal power or principle is needed. In other words, it is in that area of life that a transformation of some kind is necessary. It is useless to pretend that such a problem is simply an annoyance which can readily be repressed or ignored. An attitude which is all too apparent in the common astrological advice, well don't worry too much about it. As soon as this planet passes into the next sign, everything will be okay again. 
What is not understood by those who give this kind of advice is that there might not be much of a problem in the present if the individual had achieved the proper perspective and integration through past learning and assimilation of past experience. Whatever conflicts or necessities for decision-making are being stirred up in the present will surface again in the future, although perhaps in a slightly different form, if they are not effectively dealt with now. In many ancient cultures, the planets were considered to be either actual celestial deities or at least the embodiments of spiritual forces or agencies. In certain branches of Hinduism, the planets were regarded as the lords, which the Supreme Lord appointed to rule over the various regions of creation and to mete out one's karma. In a very real sense, if we can consider a deity to be an embodiment of a divine force or universal law, it's easy to take the next step of viewing the planets from the same vantage point as did the ancients i.e. as symbols or reflections of various universal laws, principles, and forces, which could indeed, judging from their power in our lives, be called divine. Further study of various ancient writings from the Orient can also provide us with a more elaborate and detailed picture of not only the structure of the universe, but also of the real meaning and mode of operation of astrological factors. For example, the teachings of Vedanta, a popular tradition in India, say that the simple principles of one plane govern the complexities of existence on the planes below it. What is one on a higher plane becomes many on the lower planes. Hence, in studying astrology, whether we realize it or not, we are actually studying the higher principles that govern all life in the planes below. Hopefully, by understanding the higher principles at work in our lives, we can more easily and harmoniously accommodate ourselves to the cosmic purpose behind our immediate experience. I've said before that I'm not much one for making predictions because I personally feel that astrology is much more useful to help us analyze the experiences that we have had and are currently having, and that it can offer a divine, objective perspective on the subjective experiences that we're having that can make us feel isolated, alienated, and alone. To be able to put ourselves in context with a higher power, a greater logic, and to see things from outside of the perspective of how they make us feel can be really liberating. It can help those of us who are prone to getting stuck in mental ruts to think about things in a different way that is beyond what we can perceive with our limited perspective and our five senses and see ourselves as participants in a greater plan that's unfolding. This is something that's come up for me a lot this summer, and especially recently with the Venus retrograde in Leo. I'm a Leo rising, which is one of the big three placements that determines a large part of our personality imprint and the kind of character that we show up as. The rising represents the lens through which we view the world and kind of the point of view that we approach life with. In Leo, it has a performative element that wants to express artistically and creatively the experience that one is having and use our own life experience as creative fodder to entertain and compel others with. There's a playfulness to Leo and an inherent vitality that comes from being ruled by the sun. There's an embrace of the lightness of life and the artistic side of things. And I've been wrestling with my experience of these transits that I've been thinking about personally, Venus retrograde in Leo, as well as Jupiter passing through Leo. 
And it's funny, but I can trace like some of my canon events <laughs> to keep up with the latest slang from TikTok. My canon events, my kind of life experiences that put me on the path to who I am today. And the more difficult experiences that I've had that I feel torn over how I handled and feel like I wish that I had had more knowledge, guidance, perspective on the situation in order to kind of handle them differently and with more elegance and grace try to integrate them into my life story. Anyway, there's a few dates that I kind of have mentally noted, specifically August of both 2014 and 2015, and then in May of 2015, events in my life took place that rocked my world, that felt like huge blows, huge losses to me personally at the time, and that I had a really hard time coming to grips with the consequences of, and I had like mentally notated the dates of these L's in my mind. And during this Venus retrograde, I thought, let's look at the charts again and see what pops up, see what kind of new perspective I might have on these situations now. And so one after another, I put them into my software as transit dates on the bywheel of my own chart. And I was stunned to see that in each one of these charts, either Venus or Jupiter was transiting my ascendant within three to six degrees or less. Now, Venus and Jupiter are the benefics of the zodiac. They bring us our blessings, what we like, what we want more of. And so it was kind of shocking to see that these events in my life that felt like huge regrets were actually opportunities for blessings to enter my life. And then I challenged myself to think about it in that way and to go with the astrology and not counter it with my own experience and my own point of view, my own opinions about the experiences that I've had and how they felt inside my body to live through, but to think as the higher plot unfolds, how were those experiences actually blessing me and connecting me with the truth of who I am and bringing opportunity for beauty and blessings into my life. And it looks a lot different from that point of view. I can see how the loss of a relationship that was really important to me at the time made way for me to begin a relationship with my husband, which may have never happened had I not had the terribly negative, depressive, belittling, humiliating experience of being dumped by a person that I had loved for five years and endured endless disrespect from for the entirety of our relationship and settled for being treated as disposable, annoying, and burdensome. The relationship that left my life, that needed to leave my life, that I was clinging on to for fear of not finding something better, was holding me back from the real love potential that was waiting in the wings. And while my memory serves me that I fell into a crazy depression and spent a month in bed, barely able to get up and live my life. When I challenged myself to think about that time as one of great blessing and favor by the universe, I can actually see how a block was removed from my life, new opportunities came in, 
I remember during that period, I actually was given the opportunity to interview some of my favorite artists in the world and write up a column on what they said for Vice. And it was something so unique and specific to the person that I am and the work that I want to do in the world. And I was connected with artists who had continued to influence me for years and have a profound impact on my creative development and an avenue opened up for me to connect with my now husband, who has been the greatest addition to my life that I could ever hope for. Things are funny like that, like when you remember a humiliating, devastating breakup, but then you challenge yourself to think about how did it actually serve me and how was that literally a blessing? Your experience of it, or I'll speak for myself, my experience of it kind of ceases to matter in a way. And I can rise above my own feelings and see the larger story playing out, you know, from that kind of outside perspective. And I find it to be a healing experience to do that and to kind of rewrite the narrative of your own life, you know, with the best outcome in mind and with trust that things are unfolding so that you can get to where you're meant to be and that the universe wants to provide you with the resources, energetic, material, spiritual, personal, to do the work that you're meant to do in the world. And it will remove the excess and sometimes that will feel like a great loss, but it isn't. And if you can hold out hope and faith in the bigger journey, that's being laid out for you and not try to predict it but just try to meet it where you are and take the next step magical things can happen and like i've told you guys the story about breaking my nose and what that meant to me and how devastating it was and when i look at the date that that happened jupiter was exactly on my ascendant literally exactly on the exact degree a blessing to my appearance and how I come off in the world. And that manifested as what I experienced as my beauty being removed from me in one fell swoop. So it's hard to grasp how that could have been a blessing in my life. But when I think about it, when I really challenge myself to think about it, it did put me in touch with deeper parts of who I am. It did remove blocks to accessing those deeper parts. It removed people from my life who were only there for certain reasons that weren't helpful to my overall story and trajectory. It eliminated complications. It put me in touch with essential truths about myself and it challenged me to grow as an individual. And I'm still working on that one and accessing the blessings that have been promised to me through that experience that I can see through analyzing the transits in hindsight, because this happened eight years ago, but in hindsight, in looking back and reflecting, I can access past blessings and use them to transform my current perspective and manifest a more empowered, beautiful, blessed tomorrow. I really feel that way. Sometimes blessings feel like losses, and sometimes your losses will evolve into blessings. It's funny like that. If life is about transformation, then discomfort is a blessing. Being pushed out of the nest where you feel so comfortable and safe is a blessing. If transformation is the point, then we should embrace difficult experiences and use the process of reckoning with them as an opportunity to learn more about our own potential and learn to alchemize it into something wonderful. 
So I find that astrology can be especially helpful in times of darkness, discomfort, and disillusionment, when you can't see the upside, when you feel betrayed and at a loss, to take a look at what's happening in your chart and what the ambient energies are saying in relation to the energies that you've claimed for this incarnation as your own and to find a way to make it a constructive experience for you whatever you're going through whatever you're living through how can it fuel future you how can you use this to build a stronger version of yourself to meet tomorrow someone who is even more capable than the you of today of alchemizing your experiences into the reality that you want to live in. None of us are victims of our circumstance, not purely. We are all capable of changing the day-to-day -day reality that we live. And if we don't, it's because we're choosing to stay where we know, where we feel safe, where we feel competent, and to not do the uncomfortable work of transforming into the version of ourselves that's capable of more. So whatever you're not happy with, whatever feels like a curse, not a blessing, how can you turn that experience into food for your soul and your own personal evolution? So yeah, all for taking the esotericism and mysticism out of astrology and trying to communicate the very learnable, teachable, emotional, symbolic language that astrology uses and advocate for individuals like myself and like you listening to this podcast to use that language and apply it and apply the logic of astrology to your own personal timeline of experiences in order to better come to grips with what you've experienced of the celestial forces and archetypes that make up our world and our shared existence. I think that peace can be found and achieved through understanding what makes up the mysterious world around us and better understanding our place in it so that we can honor that place and show up as creative participants in the big picture and stop running away from our callings and our destinies and what we're here for through all of the many distractions that are marketed to us every day. Later in the same book, Arroyo writes, In American culture, rather than an initiation ritual which would result in the personal transformation required to enable us to sever quickly and completely the childhood ties to the parents and to propel the individual into adulthood, there is only a long, drawn-out period of trying to convince oneself that one is an adult, an independent, self-sufficient being. Instead of sacred words or myths to protect him or her during this hazardous transformation period, the individual has nothing but vague promises coupled with a license to drive a car and to drink alcohol. In the United States, since there is no ritualistic rite of passage from one mode of living to another, this process usually lasts throughout the 20s at the very least, until the Saturn return, and very often, it is never completed the individual never achieving a full birth from childhood patterns and needs. The cultural ideals in the United States are so high, so unrealistic, that no one can ever meet them. Thus, we become a nation of sheep, a nation of lost children playing grown-up. In the U.S., there is no king, no absolute authority outside ourselves. Hence, we have to turn to our own resources. That is terribly frightening to us. We react by searching, often quite desperately, for safety in some social, professional, or familial role. 
We therefore run away from our own responsibility and try to please everyone else, thus avoiding the burden of coming to terms with our own selves and our own ideals. Thus, many of us start to die within, and in later life we then find ourselves vaguely resentful, with no clear object for our resentment. Instead of realizing that we resent our own ignorance, foolishness, and cowardice, we often turn our resentment towards some group, some vaguely defined segment of our society, which either openly flaunts its disregard for our oppressive values, or which somehow represents the oppressive social structure that we see as having enslaved us. In a society where we have to find our own means of initiation and transformation, astrology has a particularly valuable role to play. But we must remember that astrology is not a thing separate from life. It is not a religion in itself, nor is it a science which encompasses all other approaches to human understanding. It is simply a tool, one of many possible tools, which can be used in any number of ways. In our own individual lives, astrology can serve the purpose of guiding us through various initiations, transformations, and crucial transitions. It can provide us with that cosmic framework and meaning which infuses every major experience with deep significance, something which most religions try but fail to do. And in the practice of astrological counseling as a profession, an awareness of social roles, parental influences and ties, and individual needs for going through the archetypal human transformation phases is an absolute necessity for effective counseling. When a person's society or religion fails to provide a means of understanding such important processes and needs, another way must be found, and astrology is one method of understanding to which millions of people look for guidance. So I really love that he puts it in such a clear, direct way about the usefulness of astrology and the mandate that astrological counselors like myself have to help people understand the experience that they're having and connect it to a higher plane of awareness that can serve them to more elegantly move through periods of initiation, transformation, and transition remembering that change is the only constant in life and that constant transformation is the one thing that we have been promised. So that's the point of view that I'll be coming from on this podcast. And for the rest of this season, I hope to help connect you with your birth chart and help give you tools to start accessing the reflective, mirroring material that's there for you so that you can use it to evaluate your experience and hopefully gain insight that helps you move through your life with more grace, more fluidly and expeditiously toward your wildest dreams. We are all full of so much untapped potential that we are actively being distracted from accessing and using and making the most of, and there's so many wonderful distractions at our fingertips these days, but I hope that each one of us can in a small way that grows, start to build a practice of accessing our deep interior and our higher consciousness and integrating it into the way that we live our lives every day and the way that we interact with each other. And I think through connecting with ourselves and then connecting in relation to one another and building with one another, we can make some really important and necessary things happen in our real world. As always, you can reach out to me via phone at 646-543-5017, or you can book a 15-minute introductory reading with me on metroastrology.com. 
This will be enough time to go through your big three and maybe some other important placements or transits that stand out to me. Then you'll get a sense of my style of working with you one-on-one and then you'll have the opportunity to book a longer reading if you so choose. Or just leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and let me know what you think of the pod and if there are any topics I haven't covered that you hope I do. Thanks so much for listening and I'll talk to you soon. 